Well, golly, Pete. Well, what is it, uh, Archie? No, no. Remember, um, yeah, Archie and Jughead were their original names. I love them. Yeah. I grew up on them. Archie and, and Jughead. Jughead. And when the Fireside manipulated them, they became uh, Porgy. Porgy and Mudhead. And Mudhead. Well, gee, Porgy. Right. He was the great clown. The Hopi clown is the Mudhead. Uh, I think there was a transitional period of Drughead, but we got him through that. Yeah. Moved yeah. him right on. Well, Mud- Mudhead. Archie is still around, to my it's great surprise. It's amazing. So is Dagwood and Blondie, by wow. the way, too. I can't believe that. They're historic. Yeah, whatever happened to women's liberation? Well, here's the thing. A new man is moving into Riverdale, the home of comics' perennial teenager Archie Andrews and his gang. His name, the new man, is Kevin Keller, and he's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and gay. Kevin will be introduced in Veronica number 202 in a story entitled, Isn't It Bromantic? Isn't it bromantic? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The inclusion of the character meets two uh, twin goals, one real world and one in story. Riverdale has to reflect the diversity of the world today. We want to be all inclusive. Uh, this is John Goldwater, the chief of the whatever, syndication thing, thing, you know, whatever, yep. guy who spokesman guy. Uh, it's completely in the tradition of your typical Archie comic. <laughs> ah, I don't think. Now, he goes right off the tracks on that one, right? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, com- I grew up on Archie Andrews and the guys weren't really like fondling guys. No. They were trying to kiss Betty if you like blondes and Veronica if you like Bruno. There you go. Veronica is always chasing guys, he said, uh, and getting what she wants. Okay, she's the she's the dark haired. Yeah, she's the vamp. Yeah. Who could we introduce that she could not get? She could use him as a beard. We're t- yeah. <laughs> Golly, mudhead. What's, go- what's a beard? What's a beard? Well, it's that blonde guy that that, that that doesn't like girls, but hangs out with her so that she can get somebody else. It's very complicated. I, I think Riverdale High is going to be really confused about this. I'm, no, I'm really impressed. I, I got to tell you, well, do you know any other national comic? I don't mean, you know, our crumb. I mean a national comic that has a gay character. I don't. I don't follow the comic books, but I haven't read any other story i think it's quite amazing that it would happen in in what must be a young teenager's comic book series which can't appeal to girls over 13 but right? here's my question they're putting a gay in riverdale before they put in an african-american well i, I don't I, I mean it's true i haven't picked up an Archie comic book mm-hmm. uh, from the rack in a long time but i don't hear anything there about the fact that this follows in the great liberalizing tradition which included an african-american and asian a handicapped you know a, a teabagger whatever it is this is just let's go gay well, let's. Uh, my my feeling was having read this that really the next movie not should be Iron Man six or you know Batman twelve or you know those Veronica number two hundred and two with the gay guy. Edward Marcotte is looking for drugs that can kill tumors by stopping blood vessels growth, and he and his colleagues at the University of Texas at Austin recently found some good targets, five human genes that are essential for that growth. Now they're hunting for drugs that can stop those genes from working. Strangely, though, Dr. Marcotte did not discover the new genes in the human genome, nor in lab mice or even fruit flies. He and his colleagues found the genes in yeast. 
On the face of it, it's just crazy, Dr. Marcotte said. After all, these single-cell fungi don't make blood vessels. They don't even make blood. In yeast, it turns out these five genes work together on a completely unrelated task, fixing cell walls. Dr. Marcotte and his colleagues have found genes associated with deafness in plants and genes associated with breast cancer in nematode worms. The scientists took advantage of a peculiar feature of our evolutionary history. In our distant amoeba-like ancestors, now I'm not sure I had an amoeba-like ancestor, but let's go with it, clusters of genes were already forming to work together on building cell walls and on other very basic tasks essential to life. Come to think of it, when I picture some of my relatives, they are kind of amoeba-like, so maybe I'll take that back. Many of those genes still work together in those same clusters over a billion years later, but on different tasks in different organisms. Studies like this offer a new twist on Charles Darwin's original ideas about evolution. Anatomists in the mid-1800s were fascinated by the underlying similarities of traits in different species. The fact that a bat's wing, for example, has all the same parts as a human hand. Darwin argued that this kind of similarity, also known as homology, was just a matter of genealogy. Bats and humans share a common ancestor, and thus they inherited limbs with five digits. Bats and humans with similar ancestors. Maybe that's why there's such a fascination with vampires. Some 150 years of research have amply confirmed Darwin's insight. Paleontologists, for example, have brought ambiguous homologies into sharp focus with the discovery of transitional fossils. A case in point is the connection between the blowholes of whales and dolphins and the nostrils of humans. Fossils show how the nostrils of ancestral whales move from the tip of the snout to the top of the head. In the 1950s, the study of homology entered a new phase. Scientists began to discover similarities in the structure of proteins. Different species have different forms of hemoglobin, for example. Each form is adapted to a particular way of life, but all descended from one ancestral molecule. When scientists started sequencing DNA, they were able to find homologies between genes as well. From generation to generation, genes sometimes get accidentally copied. Each copy goes on to pick up unique mutations, but their sequence remains similar enough to reveal their shared ancestry. A trait like an arm is encoded in many genes which cooperate with one another to build it. Some genes produce proteins that physically join together to do a job. In other cases, a protein encoded by one gene is required to switch on other genes. It turns out that clusters of these genes, sometimes called modules, tend to keep working together over the course of millions of years. But they get rewired along the way. They respond to new signals and act to help build new traits. Absolutely amazing, don't you think? Now, there are some people that say this is completely random. It's just evolution. It's just mutation and selection. And I'm I'm sure that's operative. Obviously, it is. But what about the building blocks? I mean, these genes, DNA, this is immense amounts of information. Who put that pattern together? Is it a pattern? These are the questions we should be asking ourselves instead of should gays marry or should there be prayers in the school or should politicians wear lapel pins and their birth certificates around their neck? Let's get serious. Well, Peter, we have to hand it, as it were, to Hugh Hefner once again. 
You know what he's done? No, what has Hugh done? With, Hugh? With, and remember, in fire sign language, he's Hilario Spacepipe. That's right. Hilario Spacepipe has once again saved the Hollywood sign. He has? Yeah. What, were they going to tear it down again? Well, you know, this was land uh, that we never knew it, but uh, Mount Cahuenga. The the, um, the original settlement of uh, Los Angeles, right? The Kawenga Indians, right here at the foot of Mount Kawenga. Well, it was owned by Howard Hughes, wouldn't you know? And uh, uh, it is on that property that they built uh, long ago the Hollywood sign. It didn't say Hollywood then; it said Hollywood. By now, you know, Hollywood houses for sale. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. The original sign was Hollywood Land. That's right. Hollywood, Hollywood Land. Land. It was a subdivision. Were the letters as big? Big, same old big letters. They're oh. the same old big letters that the girl dived off of and killed herself in the 30s. You know, all those stories. About, it's the iconic sign, Hollywood, Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I think you can remember when uh, it was falling down. Oh, yes, yes. And, well, saved by, here it is, saved by Hugh Hefner uh, in, that was, uh, let's see, as long ago as the late 70s. Well, it doesn't specific. He rallied donors to help rebuild it after several years of neglect and reduced its letters to skeletal metal and tattered panels. I remember it's pit-spelled smoke pot once. People would go up there in the middle of the night and change all the letters. You know, it's like a, like a well, Scrabble in the, game. In the 70s, Hollywood was pretty tattered. <laughs> it, yeah, everything was tattered. Well, that's what Mr. Hefner says. This town never had a good sense of its own history, never had good signs or markers for the sites and streets where so many internationally famous things have occurred. So he put another uh, $900,000 into buying the land and saving the Hollywood sign. So now the land is owned by the Hef, and the sign is has been refurbished. What good news, I guess. I, by the way, have spent a brief time in the, um, what do they call it, the mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter was going to school with Hefner's son, uh, an elementary school, and they had a birthday party for him in the mansion. Wow. And so I drove up. It's everything you could imagine. The one thing they didn't do is they didn't load the place with bunnies for these 10-year-olds. I got to say that. But the place was redolent with Mm bunny-ism. I mean, you knew what those rooms were built for. Mm -hmm. Not for playing, you know, uh, know, skittles with the kids. It was was pretty sensuous. Pretty sensuous place. Yeah, yeah. 